0: Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I'm going to start this program with a quote from a book called Middlemarch, which I've never read. I happen to be rummaging, as I'm always doing during the week on the net, and reading various articles about various things. And in one of the articles, there was a quote from this book, Middlemarch, by T.S. Eliot. And it kind of found itself being an adjunct to something I was already thinking about, which I'll get into after I read the quote. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. So, kind of an interesting quote, kind of an opposite of the poem Ozymandias, where, and I know I've talked about this before, I have certain things that really impact me, so I mention them again. There was this poem called Ozymandias about a great Egyptian king who basically had been forgotten for centuries until somebody Some archaeologist or something finds a plaque, a stone plaque, if you will, in the desert, which reports his self-report, Ozymandias' self-report, about how wonderful and important and well-known he is. But, of course, he had been forgotten. And that, I think, was by Percy Bysshe Shelley. I take it back a little bit. It's not an opposite, Ozymandias, of the quote from Middlemarch. But it it's related to it, because in the case of the Middle March quote, they're talking about people, call them saints in a religious sense, people who are not known, people who are unsung, but have really made a difference in the world. Whereas in Ozymandias' case, you could say, well, he did make a difference. He was certainly well-known, but we don't know what his real and true spiritual, emotional, physical impact on the people in his life were, and how that played out for good or for ill. Also, in the Middlemarch quote, he talks about these faithful people who rest in unvisited tombs. There are those, also unknown to the world, who have greatly visited tombs because of their impact on the world around them, their small world perhaps, or perhaps they had a larger impact, but nobody knows about it. But those people are visited because some do know exactly who they were. But like the people talked about in the middle March quote, they engaged in what might be called unhistoric acts, that they made various lives whom they touched better simply for their having been there and intercepted moments of the other's life. So I guess there are two groups of such people. Some of them may even have had some fame and well maybe three groups of people. Some who have had fame and have touched lives for good or for ill. Some who have touched lives and now have their tombs unvisited, some who touch lives and who are visited. But of course, that latter two groups, at some point, all of us become unvisited tombs because the people we know no longer are here to carry our memories on. Maybe some of the people fall in overlapping categories. So what got me started on this this week? Well, a couple of things three things, I guess. The first was that I heard that Walter Mondale died this week, this past week. Now, I don't know if I ask right now, how many of you out there know who Walter Mondale was? Certainly if you're over a certain age, maybe my age, you probably do. If you're even a little younger, maybe you don't. And yet, Walter Mondale was very well known in his active political life. Albeit back in the day when we didn't have the internet, Walter Mondale was very well known. And in fact, he ran for president of the United States against Ronald Reagan. And another key aspect of his candidacy was that his running mate, his vice presidential running mate, was the very first woman who ever had that nomination who was named Geraldine Ferraro. I'm guessing she's even less well-known to the general public, despite the fact that she carried a banner for the first time for women into the political arena. That is, that a woman could be vice president or president. But even I, who was reminded of these two people because of the death of Walter Mondale, probably hadn't thought about them, either of them, in 15 to 20 years. Here's another a kind of television cultural person, and that is uh, someone who died just yesterday, pretty young, 75 years old, probably of the dementia that he had for the last few years, Johnny Crawford, who was the young kid in an old television show that started probably in the late 50s and went into maybe 1960, that when I was a kid, I was watching mostly on reruns because I wasn't really very old when the show was on and uh, that was called The Rifleman with Chuck Connors. Well, Johnny Crawford went on to have kind of a singing career, mostly in great standards, standards, kind of old-time songs, and uh, he was known for that, not hugely, but he was known for that, and then he got the dementia, and he didn't seem to have any money, and so he needed help for whatever reason. I don't know whether he lost the money or there was some problem with his family or whatever it was, but he needed help and he was in a nursing home and has now since died. So, you know, you see him on this television show, this fresh-faced young boy, good actor, and then he's gone. He's part of my generation. I'm a little younger, but it kind of brings to heart the, the transience of life and the fact that here's this person who had kind of an effect on my life, not necessarily a personal effect, but here's another person that sort of falls into the, well, I think he'll be visited, clearly uh, his tomb will be for a while, but yet somehow or another he was a bit forgotten such that friends had to bring his plight to the public so that they might help. I guess you could say that these famous people, the Walter Mondales, the Geraldine Ferraros, the Johnny Crawfords, led a partly hidden life and a partly well-known life. Well, all of this started me thinking about the people who have been in my life that, I suppose, to the world are very much hidden. And as I said, some may be visited, some may be not visited at their tombs, but all of them should be if they're not. I think what I want to do today is talk about a few of them in my life and invite you to think about those in your own life and, if you're of a mind to, to comment on them in the comments section on the podbean.com website where you have an opportunity to talk about what you think of this show. Most people don't take advantage of it, but that's okay. I have a few comments. But this would be interesting. I would love to read about people that you found who have had what might be called a hidden life, who you treasure, and hopefully you do visit their tombs on a regular basis. But maybe there are some that you think might be forgotten, or you're not in a place where you can visit them. You're across the country. There are one or two people. I haven't been to their graves in years because I live across the country. Is there any ordinary Catholic link to this podcast today. Yeah, I think there is, because the quote in Middlemarch doesn't refer to it, but I think of these people as undeclared saints. Some of them, I'm sure. And that's the other thing. None of them were perfect because no human being is perfect, but there was something about them that made them stand out to the people in the small parts of the world in which we all lived made them distinct different something was maybe otherworldly about some of them some of them never knew perhaps that they saved your life by saving your emotional life or their encouragement somehow set you on a road that gave you the life you have today they were your go-to people when you needed to have a sounding board and this is another part of it there was a depth to them. The exchanges between you were on a metaphysical level, in a sense, or there was a meta-message. It wasn't an ordinary interaction. We have, all of us, good friends, I'm sure, but not all good friends can have that kind of substance in their interactions. Lots of people, perhaps all of us at some point, are afraid to go below the surface, and you can have long-time friendships on the surface, but those very special friendships of people who are no longer with us, who have passed on, those interactions have an enormous effect on each of our lives, or at least that's my theory. I haven't pre-planned who I'm going to talk about. I can't tell you how often I wish I could turn to them, and then I realize they're not here anymore. These are sort of the essential people in your life that as you get older disappear. They're your anchors, your rafts. Now I'm not going to be giving an exclusive list and don't interpret that anybody I leave out I didn't think deserved to be in the group. Maybe it's just that these particular people are on my mind or have been on my mind in recent times. And you know I'm at a stage where I'm reviewing my life since, as I often point out, I'm at the sort of the shorter end of my life than on the longer end. And going back to the quote from Middlemarch, he doesn't say that things were great because of these people. He says that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been. Life is always a struggle, and I think what these people do is they come at the the most critical points of your life to push you forward. It may not seem that things are ill at the time. It may be that you just don't know what direction you're going into. Maybe you just need a little push in the right one. And these people either sustained you at a difficult time or moved you when you needed to be moved or just held your hand, psychically speaking, when you couldn't decide what you should or ought to do or needed to do and you were just frozen in time and in space. As I return to this recording, it's now Saturday, late in the afternoon, five thirty almost, which is unusual for me because I normally get this podcast out by one, one thirty, two, three, if at the latest. But there have been some distractions, some events that have required my attention and so I didn't get back here today until about 4.35 o'clock. I realized that something happened that was also kind of a hidden hero's sort of moment, but this person is alive, and until this afternoon, I didn't know him at all. And I may not see much of him again, but something made me sense that my interaction with him was something that made my world a little better, even though it was something of a sad moment. It was a warm interaction. So let me let me elaborate. I was visiting a friend in a rehabilitation facility today, and there was a man who comes into my friend's room. And I'd seen him before. I'd seen him walking in the garden and couldn't tell his age, I figured somewhere 60s, 70s, and because he wasn't that old, I assumed that he was only a temporary resident of the rehabilitation facility. But, and he clearly had had a stroke because his left hand was paralyzed. And it turns out, no, he's been there for five years. So his name was Joe and he came in to my friend's room and brought her a plastic bag full of a potpourri of flowers that he had picked for her. I didn't know she had interacted with anybody among the residents. I know she'd been interacting with the staff, but I had no idea she was interacting with the residents. And he came in and he pinned it on the wall and then he stood by the window and began to talk. My friend had gone to her bed and was listening, but she didn't speak very much while he divulged a little bit of his life. He was born in Detroit. It turned out that he was two years younger than me, which was a little bit alarming considering the fact that he's been in a rehabilitation facility, a skilled nursing facility, for five years our cultural references were the same. I could see, I could feel his wistfulness, even perhaps his sadness, as he looked out the large window that's in each of the rooms. He had been an accountant for the aerospace industry, McDonnell Douglas, Northrop, and such like that. I don't know when he retired. We never got into that. And he didn't explain how he happened to end up where he was, other than uh, you know, just basically that he'd been there for a while. Sometimes when you're dealing with people in rehabilitation, particularly since memories are affected, you're never sure how much is actually true. Not that anyone is lying, it's just that confusion sets in and sometimes it 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 really sort of touches the information that's provided. Somehow he got to talking about Ax, he had seen when he was younger. In 1974, he had the good fortune of seeing Elvis Presley. He had seen Frank Sinatra at the Greek theater. I can't remember now if he saw Jimmy Buffett, but he was quoting some of his songs and songs of some other people. One in particular really made both me and my friend laugh extraordinarily. And I think his loneliness was reflected in the following line, which was, And when your phone don't ring, it'll be me. It'll be me not calling you. Clearly, the lyrics reflected his loneliness, although it is a somewhat amusing line in lack of context. The actual song says, well, tonight when you lay lonely in your king-sized bed with a hunger inside, you can feel I'll be the empty place next to you. And when your phone don't ring, it'll be me. It'll be me not calling you crying like i used to do he never really looked at me or my friend as he gazed out the window he was somewhere else no doubt although he was engaging with me and sharing with me and that sharing was how can i put it it was profound i noticed at one point that a tear rolled down his face and i wanted to do something for him but there was nothing for me to do except to stay and listen and participate in this moment of his life, and he in this moment of my life. Then he left, and I was getting ready to say goodbye to my friend, and he came back, and he came back with a tiny bit of a rose, a white rose. It wasn't in very good shape, it was starting to lose its leaves, but I was able to put it in my pocket, and I was so enormously moved by his doing that and things were not so ill with me as they might have been in this podcast I intended to talk about people who are no longer with us and I still will before I conclude I have I think three or four people I want to mention no longer with us but I guess the truth is that there are lots of people among us still with us living hidden lives And we sometimes miss the moments of what is essentially a spiritual connection. It's important to appreciate those lives, those not well-known lives, while they're still with us. I will always remember Joe, whether I see him again or not. Just like I remember the Korean woman in Jerusalem who saw me crying at the Church of All Nations in Jerusalem and turned around and hugged me, a woman I couldn't tell you what she looked like, I will never see her again in this life. But we had this astounding moment of, perhaps a little paradisal moment of how people ought to be with one another, and so rarely are. But I want to talk about three people, certainly not an exclusive list, no longer with us, who live hidden lives insofar that they will never be known by the world at large, they'll never have a place in a history book. There will be no one who will read about them in any large environment, but the people who knew them will say, this person made an impact on me and gave me some bit of strength or happiness, even if it was only brief, or perhaps even made me the person that I am. They were not perfect, clearly. There was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ, and he, of course, was also God. Two, I don't think I realized how much I owe to them until now, as I've gotten older. That's not to say that there were not struggles in our relationships. They were, in some cases, enormous. But I know that any strength I have, any capacity that I have, is in large part because of them and those are my parents my mother who died many years ago and my father who died about 12 years ago one lived a very long life the other lived a very short life until she became ill when i was 18 and had terminal cancer my mother and i had a had an uneasy relationship it was a relationship in which I had something of cognitive dissonance. And it was because she did everything a mother does for a child, everything. She certainly gave me the education, made sure I was raised Catholic, all those things I have mentioned probably on this program before. But she didn't, in my view, and I could have been wrong about it, but she didn't seem to like me very much. And while love was clearly expressed in all the things that she did for me, and the fact that I am such as I am, the person I am today, I also didn't think she loved me very much. But something happened when she was terminal. And I probably have mentioned on this program that she was not officially told she was terminal, which never made any sense to me because clearly she had cancer, clearly she was being treated for cancer, But the mind is a very strange thing, and she wasn't told, and she never spoke about it, and we never spoke about it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Of course, many years later, I found pieces of articles, and it was clear she did know what was happening to her and just simply didn't acknowledge it. But what did happen in that 14-month period from the diagnosis to her death when I was 20 was that Unlike what happens to a lot of people where they become bitter when they're sick, my mother's personality became light, airy even. Suddenly she was loving her relatives. Suddenly she was wanting to treat me as if I was a young kid and she was going to make up for lost time emotionally. Emotionally, there was an emotion towards me that I had never ever seen well I take that back I did see it once I have a strong memory of one time she tucked me in as a very young kid it was as if she went from being an official obligatory mother to actually feeling a sense of warmth towards me which she probably always felt but could not for whatever reason express and I have all sorts of theories about things that must have happened to her as a youngster none of which I could even begin to prove, so I don't even speculate publicly about them. She had, I think, a peaceful death. She was in a coma for 10 days after having announced to my father that she needed to go to the hospital, put on all her makeup, went to the hospital, got into the bed, and went into a coma, and then died. I don't know whether she received spiritual benefits of a Catholic priest or not. I don't know because at that time I was pretty young. I was in college. I was also not practicing the faith myself, so I don't know what activities occurred, whether she received an anointing or not, and that makes me sad. And I wish things had been different and that I had been active at the time, as my father was not at the time Catholic or religious at all. But I know God is good, and so I leave it all in His hands. And then there's my dad, who, when I was very young, acted more like my mother, but wasn't a very overtly affectionate person either. He had grown up in a large family during the Depression, and it doesn't sound like it was a very happy family. In fact, pretty much all the relatives, the siblings, seem to have led very sad lives in many ways. So I don't really know much about that either because he was pretty silent on certain things. And when he wasn't silent, he would make pronouncements like, my parents were peasants. And then he'd go into all the various stories of things that were from his perspective, somewhat troubling. And then of course there was World War II and the things he saw that he would sort of talk about in his writing. He was a great writer. Not a well-known one. Got into writing classes in the latter part of his life. I have many stories that I publish on my blog. Jin from the Bronx, chapter three. Haven't published one in a while, but if you go through the the index, if you will, of the of the blog, you would find some of his stories, and they're uh, sometimes sarcastic, sometimes very deep, sometimes a little light, but. He did write a little bit about his war experiences. You're not sure which parts are fictional and which parts aren't. You can guess. Although my lone remaining aunt, who is my mother's sister, tells me I look like my mother, I think I'm more like my father in my personality and in my interests. My father would have thrown himself on train tracks for me one of the things I used to say to him, Dad, you'd throw yourself on train tracks for me, even if I didn't want you to. I am what I am, good, bad, and indifferent, I guess, in large part because of them. And that is something that I cannot ignore. And theirs were hidden lives. Now, it's interesting that I can visit my father's grave because he's buried here. He's actually cremated. But I haven't much visited my mother's grave because I live here and I don't go back to New York that often and she's buried upstate. I think about her a lot though, now more than ever, because I know that she wanted something in life that she never got, but she couldn't articulate what it was. She was born, lived and died in the Bronx. Because of her and because of him, Somehow or another, I managed to, even though I was scared most of my life, I managed to go out into the world farther than she did. And maybe in some ways, much like he was able to do, obviously no wars for me, thank God. Life is a struggle for all of us, but my life is not so ill because of the two of them. And then someone else I've been thinking about this week because the 17th anniversary of his death happened this last week was someone who I and others have never, I think, been able to fully describe because he really wasn't someone that seemed to be part of this world. He was, as his wife used to say when she first met him, too good to be true. He was in his 40s when I met him. He was uh, not horribly long married. He, He got married later in life He had two beautiful children, now long adults. He was by trade a psychologist, but he also was a talented builder. He could construct anything. He was a carpenter. I just had this thought, I have absolutely no basis for it really, but it makes some sense in a way, is that he was a carpenter in his avocations, like St. Joseph was in his vocation. No one knows much about St. Joseph, but he must have been a very patient man and a very kind man, had an innate kindness about him. And that's what I would have said about Bill. Bill had a kindness that I have rarely seen in any human being before or since I have known him. He came into my life at a critical time, and he came into a lot of people's lives, both professionally and personally, at critical times. It was as if he was just somebody that could listen to people, whether it was professionally or personally. And he was a sound friend. He loved his wife and his children with a ferocity, a quiet ferocity. How can you not like a guy like that? I didn't know many of his friends until he died. And I found out that my sensibility about him was identical to the sensibility that others had about him. I have a sad, but in a way, beautiful memory in that when he was waked, it was raining, was pouring rain. This was back East in the Massachusetts area. There was a line, it was like, it was like Valentino, you know, when he died at the Frank Campbell home and all these lines were outside. And yet this man, had led what would be considered a hidden life. Only those people who knew him closely, personally, know how extraordinary he was. This somebody who should have been well known to the world, but wasn't. And you know what? It's kind of a, you hate that other people can't really know what you know as an absolute fact about that person. That this person was unlike others that shakespearean thing we shall not see his like again i don't know if i ever saw his like before never mind again one thing i'm thinking about as i'm talking about various people and thinking about the world and people in them is that we need to be more attuned to these smaller lives that are not really small because They have a profound effect, and that profound effect, even if it's on one person, is and ought to be celebrated. We should cherish them. We should hold them to our hearts always and pray for them always. And they, I think, are watching over us. I believe that strongly. I believe in intercession from, call them ordinary saints. So, I hope that this program has encouraged you to think about the people in your lives, these hidden lives, alive and dead. I started out with the dead, but obviously fell into the alive as well, because I think it's both, really. We all, I guess, lead hidden lives, with rare exceptions, and I suppose even the the famous people lead hidden lives, whether it's before or after their fames. So. If you have enjoyed the program, please hit favorite, leave a comment. Tell me about your friends and family who have touched your lives. I'd love to hear your stories. There was a book once called The Call of Stories. Every single person has a story. You do. I do. The people we have loved do. So I'll see you next week.